0: Hello there, friend. This is Jerry Tyson in The Beacon's Light. Be sure to check out the booklet Cost of Revival by Rob Linstead. This booklet shows that if God would send revival when Elijah stood completely alone, he can use you. Cost of Revival by Rob Linstead is available right now for a gift of only $5 or more. Order your copy by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Genesis 6, 8 is an interesting verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In reality, this verse was one word too long to qualify for the book we prepared a while back, God's one-liners, but it's too important to ignore. So we'll bend the rules just a little bit. Originally, we had determined that we would find a Bible either with small print or no center column that would allow a larger number of verses for consideration. This verse is too important not to include, even though technically it does not qualify. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing is an appropriate word when it comes to grace. John Newton, the writer of the words of that favorite hymn, knew that truth all too well. As a wicked sinner, he realized his need of God's forgiveness. He came to know that his eternal future would be in hell, as the reality of his sinful condition became palpable enough for him to be able to ignore it no longer. It was David, the great king and songwriter of Israel, who wrote in Psalm 51, 1 through 4, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, Thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. David knew God's grace in a very real way, as he was forgiven of his great sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Throughout David's life, he experienced God's grace again and again. Others who knew God's marvelous grace in the Old Testament would make a formidable list, but for now, as we focus on Noah, we have to realize what it was like in the world of his day. Historically, this was approximately 1,500 years after the creation and 2,500 years before Christ came to earth to be our Savior. We lose the reality of several of the facts involved in those days due to long lifetimes of the antediluvian people. It was at a time a little more than 500 years after the death of Adam. There were still people on earth who knew Adam personally. They had spoken to him, knew the story of creation from his viewpoint, and their sin and expulsion from the Garden of Eden from his own lips. They didn't need to read of it in history. They knew what had happened from the mouth of those who had had the actual experience. We don't know for sure, but Noah may have known Adam, and if so, knew the story firsthand. That would make sense, since it must have been Noah who was the source of the information that formed the first five chapters of Genesis leading up to the flood, or he had books that were already written and was able to save them and take them on the ark. One thing we do know leading up to the flood is the sin of mankind on the earth had reached such a level within the lifetime of just these two men, Adam and Noah that God was sorry he had created man. Genesis 6, 5 through 7, tells us, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. How bad was it? We can't imagine, or can we? Conditions on earth today are ripe for God's judgment to fall again. Man has no regard for God, whether it's in our court system, which is ruling against the biblical concepts that have guided our nation since its founding, whether a president who is encouraging the homosexual agenda, godless socialism, and Islam's advance, or the man in the street who just flat out has no regard for God. America, and for that matter, the rest of the world, is in line for severe judgment, In Luke 18, Jesus is teaching about an unjust judge. It seems they've been around for a long time. Unlike the judges of today who live a protected life away from the common man, the one whom the Lord spoke of became weary of the pleas for justice from one who had been wronged, and he ultimately gave a judgment in her favor. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus added, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That last sentence is an interesting one. The Lord was hinting that things were going to degenerate to a level that before he returns to the earth, it would be difficult to find any believers on the earth. Here's an experiment for you. Next Sunday, while you're driving to church, count how many joggers you see, how many people walking their dogs. How many riding bicycles, playing ball, having brunch at a restaurant, or driving somewhere in clothes that make it obvious they're not headed to church? Then compare that to the number of people who are in a Bible-believing, God-honoring church. The proportion will be very lopsided. God is the farthest concept from their minds. He will not be the one they intend to honor and worship on His day. In a world that was no different than the world of today, we are encouraged to find one family that has not turned away from Jehovah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When the Lord returns for his redeemed ones, may he find us watching and faithfully serving him. There are two places we heartily recommend to your travel plans. In Glen Rose, Texas is the Creation Evidences Museum. Carl Baugh has put together an incredible collection of creation-related displays and artifacts that prove the lie of the evolution concept. He also has a large-scale model of the Ark that is worth the time to examine closely. The other is the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky. It's also highly recommended because high on a hill sits a full-size replica of Noah's Ark. Walking through it on several levels gives a conception of what it really looked like and the size of this floating barge. You will never read the Genesis account again without a totally new concept of what it was and why it took so long to make it. When visiting either location, you will leave with a greater appreciation for what God was willing to do for man as he saved the few righteous to repopulate the earth. As we look to the future, one must wonder how much longer God will be willing to put up with man's sin at the level we see today. That phrase in Genesis 6 Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually gives us hope. We, living in today, must not quite have gotten to that point. How much longer will it take? How much more mercy is God willing to extend before his patience is exhausted? If you haven't asked for God's forgiveness for your sins through the blood of Jesus, how much longer do you dare to wait You have no guarantee of anything more than the breath in your lungs right now. Delay could be eternally dangerous. In the Beacon's Light is a production of Beacon Street Media feel free to contact us at www.swrc.com. This is Jerry Tyson reminding you that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin.